0: Thanks for being here today. My name's Steve. I'm the campus pastor here at Genesis Church. Uh, If you have your Bibles, open them to John chapter 14. Kevin said we are uh, entering the second week of a series called The Son of Man. Cameron said it was called The Son of God. Cameron helped come up with a name for this series for crying out loud. It is called the Son of Man, and we'll tell you why in a minute. Uh, John 14, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one of these uh, right around you. It's page 752 in this Bible, 752. Hey, I did want to just update you on one more thing. For the last three weeks, we've been doing this uh, promotion we call Step Into the Family. We've been talking about how if you're a part of Genesis Church, that it's important for you to get connected, that maybe your next step is to sign up for a ministry team or sign up for a connection group. We've got connection groups that started last week. Our ministry teams are ongoing. We've got things like our host team, our cafe team, uh, Gen Kids team. We've had, uh, I just wanted to update you, we had 49 people across both of our campuses sign up for a a ministry team over the past three weeks. So that's great. So it's 49 people that decided to step in the family and doing that. We had many, many more. That uh, join connection groups and as as we've said for the last few weeks, uh, you'll get out of church what you put into it. And so we hope that uh, those of you who have made Sunday morning a priority but maybe haven't been able to do any of these other things to get connected uh, or to contribute in some way of your time, that uh, you'll do that. There's still a chance to do that even though we're not promoting it. Uh, You can do that through the app. You can do that on our website, genesischurch.me, or you can do it on your connection card, which is in the seat back in front of you. If you want to find out about a ministry team, just put a ministry team on there, uh, take it to the info hub after the service, and uh, somebody will call you in the next week to talk to you about that. Speaking of the app, I just want to let you know uh, that I know, I understand the message notes are not correct today on the app. Sorry about that. We tried to update them uh, even this morning, but our provider's website is down, so I'm not able to do that. So if you're going to take notes, you're going to have to do it the old-fashioned way. There are pens in the seat backs in front of you, and uh, we have message notes cards for all of you. Uh, It may surprise you to know that I didn't really have a great church background growing up. I didn't go to church very much. And so uh, whenever somebody talked about the Holy Spirit, or as they used to say, in the one church I did go to for a couple years when I was growing up, the Holy Ghost— when somebody said that, I got a little, well, got a little creeped out, quite honestly. Uh, when people talked about God the Father, well, that made sense to me. I had a father. I could understand that relationship. When people talked about uh, Jesus, the Son, God the Son, that made some sense to me. But as God is a spirit or, as, as some people said, as a ghost, God is a ghost? Well, I didn't really get that. It was hard for me to grasp. And so when I heard about churches that were spirit-filled, uh, what came to mind to me was all those churches they show in 2020 <laughs> or Dateline where people are handling snakes and uh, getting smacked in the head and falling to the ground and saying things that nobody understands. And they're waving flags all over the place. And I'm like, I don't know that I want any part of that. Even when I became a Christian, um, I just kind of avoided the topic of the Holy Spirit. And I think a lot of churches are like that. We see churches on, all over the spectrum, but on both ends. On one end is churches that don't really understand or grasp the Holy Spirit, so they don't talk about him at all. And then on the other end, there's churches that just overemphasize all the stuff about the Holy Spirit that Scripture doesn't even emphasize. And so I think, okay, as we start to learn about the Holy Spirit and who he is, what should we talk about? Well, let's talk about what Scripture says about the Holy Spirit, and that's what I want to do today. So what I want to do this morning in the brief time we have together is to simply introduce you or maybe reintroduce you to this third person of the Trinity to show you In the life of Jesus, who the Holy Spirit is and what role he should play in the Christian's life. Now, if you're not a Christian, it's probably really weird to you that your Christian friends, uh, if they talk about the Holy Spirit at all, talk about this invisible, uh, untouchable, unsensible being that they get wisdom from, that they count on when times are tough. And so hopefully, if you're here and you're not a Christian, maybe by the end of this morning, you'll have some insight as to why we uh, are so interested in this Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that too. So last week, we started this series called The Son of Man. Uh, This is a name that Jesus frequently used for himself. In fact, 81 times throughout the New Testament, we see Jesus referring to himself as the Son of Man. It's a great contrast for uh, the phrase Son of God. The Son of Man emphasizes his humanity. You know, So many times in the church, we emphasize Jesus' deity because uh, he was God. Absolutely, we believe that Jesus was God. But we don't always talk about the humanity. And last week, we spent all Sunday uh, emphasizing his humanity. If you missed that, I highly recommend you check out the podcast. I don't usually pimp my own podcast. Can I say that? No? I'm sorry. I don't usually promote my own podcast. Wow. I don't know where that came from. It's been the spirit moving through me. Um, I don't usually promote my own podcast, but last week's was really good. Uh, You need to take a listen to it. Uh, We looked at a lot of scripture last week to bring out the point that even though we believe Jesus was fully God, and I want you to know we do believe that that he chose to live his life fully man. In fact, we repeated an assertion from the Council of Chalcedon more than 1,500 years ago uh, when they determined that sometime in eternity past that Christ decided that when he took on flesh, he would veil his deity in order to live fully out of his humanity. And we used the, the uh, illustration of a credit card. You may remember that if you were here, that, that Jesus had a God card. He had access Uh, to the powers of god but he chose to leave that in his spiritual wallet if you will that he never pulled that out and never used it in his life and over the next eight weeks of the series that's what we want to talk about now if you've been wrestling with that over the past week good i think that's good because i've had a year or more to think about this and i still don't fully understand it but that's okay because i think it's a profound mystery how one man could be fully man and fully god but time and time again in scripture we're reminded of jesus's humanity We we see him walk and talk and eat and sleep, and he gets hungry and angry, and he's filled with joy, and he's filled with sorrow. He goes through the whole range of human experience and human emotion and temptation and struggle, and yet in all of that, he never sinned. In fact, we said that Jesus, because Jesus was made like us in every way, as Hebrews 2.14 says, he's like us in every way. Because of that, he is our model for life and ministry. By the way, did you know that you have a ministry? We didn't really touch on that last week, but if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've made that decision to accept uh, the work that Jesus did for you on the cross, uh, that you're putting Jesus on the throne of your life. You can't really make him your savior without making him your Lord too. And Jesus' last command to us, his followers, was to go and make disciples teaching them to obey his commands and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not just for pastors or church staff or those really spiritual people or connection group leaders or people that have the gift of evangelism. It's a command for every follower of Christ to go and make disciples in all the earth. So you have a ministry. If you're a Christian, you have a ministry and Jesus should be your model for how he ran his ministry. 1 John 2, 6 says this. This is our key verse for the series. Anyone who claims to be in him must walk as Jesus did. And because Jesus lived his life as fully human, he's our model for life and ministry. He sets the standard for how we are to live. And because of that, we often underestimate what God wants to do in our lives. That's what we said last week. We often, in our insecurity, uh, in our lack of faith, we discard the words of Jesus when he said this in John 14, 12. He said, very truly I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. How amazing if we could do the works that Jesus has been doing and will do even greater things. We don't always believe that, and so we often underestimate uh, what God wants to do in our life. We severely underestimate what God wants to do in our life. But how? How can someone like you, like me, someone with a job, with two kids... Uh, With a mom's taxi service, I mean, how can someone with four hours of homework every night, you know, how can someone with all this junk going on in my life, how can I walk as Jesus walked? How can I be expected to do even greater things than he did? Well, last week we were reminded that all the resources that were available to Jesus are available to us too. I mean, just as Jesus had to make decisions and set priorities uh, we have to do that too. And so maybe, just maybe, if we were to take our priorities and make them the same as Jesus's priorities, align them with what Jesus did, then you know, make him our model for life and ministry, then we could find ourselves walking as Jesus walked. And so over the next few weeks of this series, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to look at those priorities, what they are, how Jesus relied on them, and how we can make them um, the center of our lives as well. And so there are six of them that we're going to talk about over the next six weeks, six priorities of Jesus. Uh, Here they are all together at one time. If you're a note taker, this is like um, a blessing for you, right? Because you get to take all the notes at the same time. Uh, Holy Spirit, that's the one we're going to talk about today. Prayer, uh, if you think about that more than 40 times in Scripture, we see Jesus going away in prayer. Uh, if If he's playing the God card, why does he need to go away to pray to his Father, right? Obedience. Obedience seems like a strange thing to call a resource, but it was clearly a priority to Jesus. Uh, The Word, the Word of God. Jesus had access to the written Word of God. Uh, He read it, he had to learn it just like you and I do. Exalting the Father. Jesus said, The Son can do nothing on his own. He does only what the Father shows him to do, only what he sees the Father doing. In every situation, Jesus was pointing people to his Father. He was exalting him, he was worshiping him. We're going to talk about that. And finally, the last one is relationships. Jesus made it a point of investing in a very few people uh, and very few deep, life-giving relationships during his time on earth. Now, here's the cool thing. To make it easier for you to remember these priorities, there's an acronym we can use. It's Holy Spirit Power. And so if you ever have trouble remembering the priorities of Jesus, hopefully by the end of this eight-week series, you'll be able to recite them all uh, right down the list, not because it's important that you know how to recite them, but because it's important that you remember that these were his priorities. So we're going to talk about the first one today, the Holy Spirit. We first see the Spirit of God in Genesis chapter 1, in the very second verse of the Bible. In the beginning, the Spirit of God hovered over the water. See, we believe that from the beginning of time, that God existed in three equal but distinct parts, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three forms. We call this the Trinity. All of them have the powers of God, but each form has its own purpose. Now, the Holy Spirit was there in the beginning. He is not an it. He's a he, not because he's male, okay, but because he's a person. The Holy Spirit is a person in the Trinity. He's a, not a human person, but a living being. And as you read and study the life and ministry of Jesus, you start to realize just how dependent Jesus was on this person of the Holy Spirit. Let's just really quickly take a look. You won't, probably won't be able to follow in your Bible, but we'll have these on the screen. Look at some key moments in the life of Jesus where the Holy Spirit was present. Before Jesus was ever born, an angel appeared to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and uh, told her, you are going to become pregnant. And Mary asked "Well, how's that going to happen? I've never even been with a man before. And uh, Luke one thirty five, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So Jesus was conceived by the Spirit. Only person ever to not have an earthly biological dad. Uh, That was Jesus. Now, the first time we see Jesus as as an adult, he appears uh, in the south of Israel near the Jordan River, or at the Jordan River near uh, Jericho, where he goes to be baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. And here's what happens. Luke 3, you can find this. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. John 1 tells us that the Spirit remained on him. That that the Spirit was with Jesus from this moment on. Interestingly enough, John was going around baptizing people before Jesus uh, came on the scene as an adult. Have you ever wondered? Why John was doing that? It tells us, the Bible tells us, that he's pointing his followers to Jesus. All right, he says this in John 1.30. John said, this is, he's pointing to Jesus. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Whoa, that's weird, right? He, He comes after me, but he was before me. How does that work? And then he says, I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that so he might be revealed to Israel. So, get this. John the Baptist was looking for the Messiah. The whole reason that he was baptizing people in the Jordan River was because at some point God had told him that the Messiah is walking around. That the Messiah was on earth. He was coming around. And John was prompted to start baptizing people so that the Messiah might be revealed to Israel. Now, this is fascinating to me because after last week, um, I, we got a lot of questions. Uh, and some people ask about foreknowledge, that there were times in Jesus' life when he seemed to know that something was going to happen. And doesn't that mean that he played the God card? I mean, after all, how could you know something was going to happen if you weren't God? So there, during certain times in Jesus' life, he seemed to know that. And doesn't that prove right, that he played the God card? Well, here we see John, John the Baptist, seeming to know that the Messiah was going to be revealed to all of Israel through his baptizing people. That's foreknowledge, right? He knew in advance this was going to happen. Well, I believe that he got his knowledge in the same way that Jesus got his foreknowledge. And that's through prayer. Through prayer and through revelation of the Holy Spirit. I mean, after all, look at what Scripture tells us about foreknowledge, okay? Um, Proverbs 3.3. 3. By the way, some people think John the Baptist knew Jesus was the Messiah uh, from the very beginning. That because uh, if you read uh, their early part of the New Testament, when Mary comes into the room with Elizabeth, Elizabeth's pregnant, and John the Baptist jumps in his mother's womb, it says. And that people believe, oh, I know that John was the Messiah. But John himself said, I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was so that he might be revealed to Israel. So here's what scripture tells us about foreknowledge. Proverbs 3.32, for the Lord detests the perverse, but he takes the upright into his confidence. In other words, God trusts those who follow him with his secrets. Now you wanna see something even more revealing? Look at Amos 3.7. It says this, surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes, how the Holy Spirit promised to give us knowledge and direction too. So Jesus was conceived by the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit. Number three, he was led by the Spirit, Luke 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness or into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Now, this was a formative experience in the life of of Jesus. His uh, faith was solidified. We see him tempted three times by Satan, and he triumphs in that. I believe uh, that this was some of the most formative uh, moments in Jesus' ministry. Uh, It was where, I believe, some of the most precious time with his father happened, those 40 days in the wilderness. I believe it's where he got his marching orders for life, probably where the cross was first revealed to him. And it happened because he followed the Holy Spirit into the desert to be tempted can I be honest for a minute? You and I, we, we won't usually follow the spirit into the desert. You know, we've been trained to believe that the safest place is inside the will of God. And that if we just follow him at all times, we're going to be kept safe. We'll be protected. We won't have to worry. We won't have to fear. But when God leads us one way and then we realize that we're surrounded by temptations... We're surrounded by trials, and there's a chance we can go wrong. You know what we want to do? Is we want to run out of the desert. Right? We want to run away from that temptation. We want to run away from that trial. We would rather flee than fight. We'll talk more about that when we get to obedience in a couple of weeks, but just keep that in mind, that some of the most formative moments in Jesus' life happened in the desert. Some of the most precious time with his father happened in the desert. And when we rush out of the desert, we're avoiding that chance for God to refine us. And we see another instance of Jesus being led by the Spirit in John chapter 4. Jesus leaves Judea in the south. He heads up towards Galilee in the north. In John 4.4, 4, he tells us now he had to go through Samaria. Why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? Well, he didn't really. I mean, geographically, he didn't have to go through Samaria. There was a, a way that he could go around Samaria to get to the north. Um, and in fact, mo- no good Jew would go through Samaria. But Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria. Why did he have to do that? Well, we now know that he had a divine appointment with a woman at the well in Samaria. And what does this tell us about Jesus's sensitivity to the Spirit? He's led by the Spirit. So Jesus was conceived by the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. And finally, Jesus sent the Spirit to us. Near the end of his life, Uh, When he knew he was going to be killed, this is where I sent you in your Bibles, John 14. Uh, Jesus left his closest followers with this statement. We'll find it in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. There's a whole sermon right there, by the way. If you love me, keep my commands. You know, So many of us as Christians, we say, I love Jesus, but I don't believe this. I don't believe Jesus would hold people accountable for that. But Jesus says, if you love me, if you really want to show you love me, Keep my commands. Do what I say. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever the Spirit of Truth. That's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, this had to be a sad moment for the disciples. Jesus is telling them he's going away. Uh, they clearly don't understand. You don't have to read much scripture to know. They didn't really get it when Jesus said, I was going away. Um, where, why do you have to go? Where are you going to go? Who's this advocate? And he'll live inside us? That's kind of weird. Uh, what does that even mean? And, and Jesus later said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Our advantage? Like, what's he even talking about? Well, to understand that, I think it's important to take a look back and understand the, the history of the presence of God on earth. And think about this. As you read the Old Testament, in the time of Moses, the people decided to build a place, a tabernacle, okay, like a tent, where God could dwell. And they put it right in the middle of their camp when they were camping. So basically, God uh, dwelled uh, in the midst of his people. Right? He was in the middle of his people. Uh, how might you live differently if God's house was right next to your house? That's what was happening in the Old Testament. God put his house right next to the people's house and and his presence was in the middle of his people, but that wasn't good enough. And so at the beginning of the New Testament, God sent his son Jesus as a man to walk on the earth. He came as a human. He walked with us. He talked with us. He taught us. God was no longer in the midst of his people, but he walked among his people. He walked next to his people. And when Jesus died, he was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He promised he would send this Holy Spirit, John 14 says, to live in us. So God lived in the midst of his people, and then he walked among his people, and finally he came to live inside his people. And Jesus says that's to our advantage. But it's only to our advantage if we can rely on the Holy Spirit like Jesus did. And so let's look at what Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. I think this is so important that we understand that that God's Holy Spirit wants to work in our lives. He wants to be invited into our lives. And there's some things he wants to do for us, uh, what he desires to do. These are in your notes if you have the note card. Number one is this. The Holy Spirit wants to give us guidance. The Spirit will give us guidance. Isaiah 30, 21 is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. And it says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. This is a picture of what the Holy Spirit wants to do for us because because he's with us, because he lives inside you. If you're a Christian, if we listen to him, we can trust that he has great wisdom and great guidance for our lives. You know, In John 14, 26, Jesus says, But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Do you find sometimes that you need reminding more than you need taught? Especially if you know scripture, if you've been a Christian for a long time, don't you just need to be reminded of things? That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do for us. He will remind you of everything that I've told you. When you hear something in your conscious reminding you, hey, maybe this isn't the right thing to do. That Holy Spirit, he's reminding you of what you've been taught, right? We know Jesus was filled with the spirit. But the cool thing about it is other people were able to see it too. They could see it in his teaching. They, they saw it in how much wisdom he had. In one instance, Jesus walked into uh, was in Jerusalem. He walked into the Feast of Tabernacles. This was an annual celebration that happened in and around Jerusalem. In John 7, it says this, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is a prophet. Jesus is teaching about this, and his teaching is so amazing that people looked at him and said, look, it's a prophet. It's a a man from God who's saying the word of God. Why was he a prophet? Well, because of his wisdom, right? Because of his teaching, because of the guidance that the spirit gave him. Where did he get it? Well, he said, it's the spirit. It's the rivers of living water flowing from within him. You know, chances are, if um, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you have uh, that person in your life that you see this in. Right? That whenever you face a trial or a problem, when you get sad or upset, you go to that person that always seems to have the biblical answer that you're looking for. You have that person in your life. That, that's the spirit. Right? That's the rivers of living water flowing from within them. So Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit for guidance. But the Holy Spirit is more than just wisdom or guidance. Also, he wants to do some other things in our life. Number two is the Spirit gives us comfort. You know, When Jesus announces the Spirit will be coming, the NIV translation says he will send an advocate. And I think that's good. I mean, we need an advocate. An advocate is someone who will take the side of us, right? He'll, he'll fight for us. He'll take up our case. We all need that. Uh, but the Greek word that's used in the original writings is the word paraclete. Uh, the li- word literally means one who comes alongside. You know, but some translations of that word, especially some of the older ones, translate the word not as advocate, but as comforter. One who comes alongside to comfort. The King James Version, if you grew up reading King James, the King James version, you, version uses the word comforter to describe the Holy Spirit. In fact, this is one of the things that Jesus' disciples were really counting on from the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is what they counted on from Jesus was comfort, right? And think about it. When the, when the 5,000 people, 5,000 men were on the mountainside and they were getting tired and hungry, they were hangry, right? And they were sitting there and, and the disciples come to Jesus and they say, look, what are we going to do? They're nervous, and so Jesus is able to comfort them and say, sit, just sit them down, Group, make them in groups of 50, we'll, we'll take care of it. Right? When, the, when the disciples are out on the boat and the storm is coming and the waves are crashing across the bows, and Jesus is there asleep in the boat, what do they do? Somebody's got to wake up Jesus, right? We need, we need Jesus, we need his reassurance. They want that comfort from Jesus. That's what they were counting on from him. And so when he sent the Spirit, they certainly would have been looking for the Spirit to comfort them. So when Jesus says, I'm going away, he says this in John 14. He says, I'll ask the father. He'll give you another advocate, a comforter. And he will be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world can't accept him. And then verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. And then this verse 20, he says, on that day, you will realize that I am in my father. And you are in me and I am in you. See, Jesus says, (laughs) if you're in me, if you're in Christ, you can have assurance that the Spirit lives inside of you. You know, there are some church traditions that say that the, the accepting of Christ and the giving of the Spirit are two different things, but I don't see support for that in Scripture. Jesus says, you will realize that I am in my Father. If you realize I am God, that I am in my Father, then you are in me, and your Spirit will come live in you. You can have assurance today that if you are in Christ, his spirit lives inside of you. He promises not to leave you as an orphan. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Now, go back to the desert for a minute. We talked about how we like to run out of the desert. I think one of the reasons we like to rush out of the desert is because we don't trust that promise. We don't trust that God will be with us. We trust our surroundings. We trust our environment. We trust the things we can see and hear and taste and touch and smell. But often we don't trust the great comforter. But Francis Chan asked this question. I love this question. He says, why do you need the great comforter if you're already comfortable? He says, the spirit gives you guidance. It may get uncomfortable. He may ask you to walk across the street to talk to your neighbor about your relationship with Jesus. He may ask you to take a mission trip to a faraway country like Haiti. He might command you to go and be baptized in front of your whole church. Even the people that think you're already think you're more spiritual than they are. But the Spirit may ask you to do those things. It gets really, really uncomfortable. And in those moments, you're going to need the great comforter to come alongside you. The good news is that same Spirit that gives you that guidance offers comfort to you. So the Spirit gives us guidance. He wants to give us comfort. And finally, the Spirit gives us power. The Holy Spirit gives us power. Jesus himself reminded us of this. In Acts 1.8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Power, you say? What kind of power? Hmm. Well, Scripture is very clear that when Jesus, when we make Jesus our Savior, when we place him on the throne of our lives, that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside us and gives us power. In fact, one of the ways that he does that is through what we call spiritual gifts. Now, these were revealed after Jesus left, and uh, he told us a lot about them. The Apostle Paul writes about them a lot, both Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Great places to go to hear about spiritual gifts. Uh, gifts like healing, teaching, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, serving, praying, encouraging, giving, helping, administering, leading, prophesying. Many powers that we may not possess naturally, but Scripture says are given to you at the time of your conversion to Christ. God gives us those powers. Why does he give us those powers? Well, it's easy to see through Scripture that it's for his glory. Uh, Acts 1.8 says you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Get power so you can be my witnesses. As His Spirit doesn't give us power for our glory, but so that God may be glorified. If you've only ever thought of the Holy Spirit, when you think about these very charismatic churches that speak in tongues and heal people on Sunday, this probably brings a lot of questions to your mind with all these spiritual gifts. But think about Jesus. He, he traveled from town to town. He, he was teaching. He would heal people. He would prophesy. He would perform miracles. Where did all this power come from? Well, if you read the New Testament closely, you can see it. You'll see phrases like this in Luke 2.27. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Luke 4.1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Luke 4.14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Time and time again, we see Jesus being led by the Spirit, returning in the power of the Spirit. Now, here's the question this brought up to me. Maybe you had this question too, but maybe I'm just planting a question in your mind. How did his followers... You know, these guys, that, these men that walked with Jesus, that knew Jesus, that wrote the New Testament, how did they know that Jesus was full of the Spirit? How did they know that Jesus was relying on the Spirit in those moments, that he was full of the Spirit, he was led by the Spirit, he was moved by the Spirit? Here's what I came up with. I thought you guys might be interested in this. By the time they got around to writing down the letters and books that would be the New Testament, these men themselves had already received... The Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about that? That on the day of Pentecost, Jesus sent the Spirit. Everybody that was walking with Jesus received the Spirit. And then as people were converted to Christ, they would receive the Spirit. And so by the time these men got around to writing down these books, they had seen firsthand the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And then they were able to look back on those moments of life of Jesus and say, Oh, that's how he did that. He had the Holy Spirit on him in that moment. So what does this mean for us? While this whole message has been about what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us, what he desires to do in us, the truth is that we have a choice of what we do with the Holy Spirit. Scripture is very clear that you and I have some power on our own, that in our flesh we have the power to interfere with what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. Ephesians 4.30 says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, that you and I can grieve the Spirit of God. That, that it's our choice. Here, here's what it says: that our sin, our disobedience, can grieve Him, can stand in the way of the work that He wants to do in our lives. In fact, what I want to leave you with is this: is this phrase, "We can hinder the Holy Spirit, or we can submit to the Holy Spirit." Here's what I mean by that, um, parents. Parents in the room, do you ever feel like you're talking to a brick wall? Like you're trying to instruct your kids, and after you've told them something like fifty times and they just don't do it, what do you do? I mean you might choose to do it yourself, you might choose to discipline them, you you but you'll probably stop telling them to do it. My experience has been the same with the Holy Spirit. That when I hear that voice behind me saying, This is the way, walk in it, I have two choices. I can go this way, the way he says, or I can go a different way. There are seasons in my life when I've been very obedient. And in those moments, maybe you've experienced that too. When I decide to listen to that voice and follow his way, that voice gets louder and more audible and clearer and more frequent. I'm more in tune with God. I can hear him better. God speaks clearly to me and my life generally goes better. Why is that? Well, because when the spirit says, this is the way walk in it, the way he's guiding me is toward God. There are other times in my life when I've been very disobedient. And in those moments, when I hear that voice and ignore it, it gets lower and more distant and less clear until eventually... Why? Because I disobey the Spirit. I grieve Him. I'm moving further from God, and I can hinder the work of the Spirit in my life. See, the Holy Spirit has much power, but there's one thing He won't do He won't work His way into an unwilling heart. The one thing that made Jesus' walk with the Spirit so special was His willingness to submit. And if we're willing to do that too, the spirit wants to give us guidance and comfort and power, all the things that we truly need to walk as Jesus walked. Would you pray with me? God, I'm so thankful for for your scripture and for your Holy Spirit that, that gives us guidance and comfort and power. Lord, we want to use that for your glory. This morning, we just invite your Holy Spirit into this place. Lord, for the times that we've been disobedient, we repent of that. We're sorry for the times we don't listen to you. God, help us to be more obedient. Help us to follow the spirit. Help us to hear that voice more clearly behind us saying, this is the way, walk in it. And Lord, when we hear it, help us to obey. God, we want your spirit here in this place and in our lives. And we thank you for the work of Jesus on the cross that allows us to experience that. We pray these things in your name, amen.